Hello and welcome to Life of Brian. Dot dot dot. Menix, that is filling in the dot dot dots as always. Rockstar, uh, extraordinaire. Uh, Brian Menix, live from the penthouse on the Gold Coast. <laughs> yes, it is live from the penthouse on the Gold Coast, and uh, not the greatest of days today. Kev, uh, it's only about twenty, and it's a little bit grey, but um, you know, still good. Oh, sorry, Brian, you confused me with someone who gave a shit. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> there you go, and here we are. Uh, and we're here, of course, with thanks to our very good friends at Murcott's uh, Driving Excellence. Uh, gift certificate for Christmas, that's the way to go. Give them a call, 1300 555 576. Get all that sorted, and then, you, then you're done. Then you've, then you've fixed up two areas. You've made someone a better driver, you made the roads a safer place, and you've got another bloody thing off your Christmas shopping list. There you go. That's a, it's a great idea, Kevin. Everybody, you can never be too good a driver. No, you can't. And and there's always there's always that person that you don't know what to buy. Well, there you go. Got it sorted yeah. for you. Sorted. Get them a gift certificate from Mercots and a card that says you are a shit driver. <laughs> yes. We should start marketing those. I reckon we should we should get the Mercots logo uh, with the, with our logo for Life of Brian and put them together on a card and then say and, and um, <laughs> always thinking of you, your shit driver. Here's your gift certificate on the inside. <laughs> There you go. What a great <laughs> present for somebody for Christmas. That'd be terrific. Uh, all right. Forget uh, what's the mob who make all the cards, the greeting cards. A hallmark. Yeah. Well, f- forget hallmark. It's it's a Hillier Mannix mark. We've got it. We've got it sorted. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not hallmark. It's our cards are called shitstone. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> we can call them anything. Hey, we uh, we pick up uh, part two of our chat with Sean Kelly today. Uh, we got up to the part where they'd done local and or general, and the models were kind of you know starting to bubble and get a bit of attention and and get uh, get noticed uh, by uh, all and sundry. So we're going to pick up the story from there. And uh, our other guest. Oh, hang on. Oh, mate. We're talking, How about this? We're talking media royalty here. We certainly are. And what, how many years has he been in the business for? 60? 64. Wow. That's a pretty good effort, isn't it? Oh, that's a, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, I'm coming up for 50 and I reckon that's, uh, you know, a naught. But another 14 on top of that, I don't know if I got that in me. Well, yeah, I don't know about I could do it for that long. Um, I hope I can, but... Um, but you know what a what a uh, wide variety of work this man has done over the years. Yep. he's been in everything. Yep, he certainly has. Game show host, uh, radio host. Um, he's been a you know sidekick on the, the most successful live television shows in in this country's uh, television history. Of course, we're talking about Philip Brady. Philip Brady, what a legend. What a great guy too. Lovely yeah. man. Yes, he is a, a, a very, very nice human being. So he's coming up later on. Sean Kelly's up first though and we're going to pick the story up, as I said, from when uh, they just finished uh, local and or general and uh, things were starting to bubble. It was before all the big hits happened, but things were starting to bubble for the models. Oh, yeah. Or models. Actually, they were pretty successful the all the way through, you know, the models. So um, even before, you know, Out of Mind, Out of Sight and all of them songs, you know, they – to the, the man of action and two cabs to the two can. They, had, you know, they had a lot of great songs. It, the, I guess it, it went to the. It went from that uh, from the bubbling underground kind of everyone knew about them and all the models up to you know bang uh, uh, Barbados yeah. and out of mind out of sight. Took them to that commercial success area where every man and his dog then knew them. That's exactly right. And Sean Kelly, one of the nicest blokes in the music industry, and um, very humble. That's yes. what I think. I think that's why people like him so much because he's very humble, very talented and very much here. And let's have a listen to part two of our chat with him. Okay. What was the album that sort of broke the models into, into you know, the wider spectrum? Was it when you did The Pleasure of a Company? Was it that which I think, was that your third album? Yeah, third oh. album. We had a little EP in there as well, Cut Lunch, which had yeah. a... Uh, like a, a little sampler of tunes which included two cabs to the toucan and oh, yeah, cut gotcha. lunch and I think I think that Man actually somehow got a bit of radio play, yeah, mano action. That's a great EP. 
didn't you tell me once that Andrew Duffield, when you were recording it, got a brand-new keyboard and you decided that you were going to use every single sound on that keyboard in one song. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, prick. (laughs) I would not do that now, but um, back then, yeah. I mean, I've always been quite interested in electronic music and I, you know, I own a few synthesizers myself, but these days I wouldn't presume to just jump on one of Andrew's synths when we worked together. But back then, yeah, it's sort of like I just uh, held down an E note or something and then just switched through every sound on the keyboard and it's on the track Germ on Cut Lunch and it was a brand new sequential circuits Prophet 5 synthesizer. It's a hard word to pronounce. Yes, it is. At nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it sounded good, though. I mean, I think Andrew was really pissed off, but, but pleasantly surprised as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Kev? Yeah, well, I was going to ask about I Hear Motion because we, we were talking about this the other day in, in the other podcast we do. It, it came up on the chart and we all agreed what a bloody uh, – how, how well that song has travelled from – from that time when you did it to now, that it still actually it still actually sounds really really good. Is it a song that you're proud of? Is it a song that you, when you hear it, you go yeah? Or, or a song when you play it, you you still feel good about it? Yeah, I, I still feel good about it. I, you know, I'm, I'm wrapped in a way. It's sort of the model songs that are remembered these days. That's probably the one that I actually sing. That's the most well-known, you know, it still gets paid on those commercial radio stations, but it's got a, I mean, you know, speaking of Andrew Duffield, it was really an Andrew Duffield composition, and I think it was, originally it was called Gag Bag, after that little paper bag they give you on airplanes to chuck into, and myself and James Freud basically wrote a vocal arrangement to go over the top of it and that's where the song came from so um it's funny because it's very hard to play it on an acoustic guitar when i get around to doing solo stuff it's like oh how am i gonna do this but anyway uh because the keyboards are really quite stunning yeah they're almost um driving down stevie wonder street almost is andrew a stevie wonder fan well who isn't brian um people do say oh you know it sounds like a little bit like Stevie Wonder, and I think Andrew was infamously quoted as saying, well, he was just trying to work out how to play Superstition. Yeah, but, that's uh, what I read. I don't remember him doing that, but uh, I do remember uh, at some point watching the way Stevie constructed his songs. It's a, it's a moody song I hear, Motion, and that still permeates today. You still feel that when you hear it. Mm. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's certainly fun to do it. Uh, live. I mean, I played in a few bands, and it's it's got a lot of energy. No, I, I'm I am very happy with that one. Yeah, that's no, great song. We've got one of the best lyrics in it too. Um, when it is Christmas for everyone else, I feel like I've missed an appointment. Gee, that's great. I reckon. <laughs> I love it. Mm, so, yeah, I might have stole that line from some bloody yoga instructor or something. <laughs> <laughs>
James has just joined the band now, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, around the pleasure of your company days. He played on the whole album. Uh, he sang one of the songs on that album, Facing the North Pole in August, and he uh, kind of crashed and burned with his solo stuff in London and was a little bit down and out. And, you know, it was just, it was already sort of hanging around the band a bit. I think he did backing vocals on the Cut Lunch EP, and then while we were doing Local End or General, he was sort of like living in London for a while, and uh, he sort of has gone on record as saying he um, he really just wanted to join us at that point. So he'd been around playing bass before, of course, he you know started having a little bit more involvement up in the front line. Yeah, right. <laughs> Did that shit you? <laughs> no, not at all. Like even today when we um just for your listeners' benefit, I'm still working with models. I go out and do shows with Andrew Duffield, Mark Ferry and Ash Davies on the drums. And both Mark Ferry and Andrew Duffield sing a song or two. And, you know, right from day one, I haven't been the exclusively, you know, the only singer. It's always been a someone else wants to have a sing, I've been happy to let them do it. Well, the results of letting James do it, though, were, like, spectacular because we had a couple of huge hits with James singing and it sort of, yeah, it certainly opened some doors for the band. Is that where you're heading with this, Brian? Um, I'm just sort of trying to put the timeline together of, of how it sort of goes. So when does Out of Mind, Out of Sight fit into the picture? Because you do Big on Love and uh, I think Kiss before mm. that, don't you? Yeah. So Big on Love yeah. is starting to... You're starting to get a wider audience with Big On Love, aren't you? Yeah, well, that was actually from the same album as Out of Mind, Out of Sight, but we recorded that whole bunch of songs in two sittings. Initially, we had some sessions in Melbourne. Uh, we produced Barbados, Big On Love, and, yeah, maybe it was just those two. With the oh. uh, producer, Reggie Lucas, from New Jersey, who'd... Uh, Famously worked with Madonna. Wow. But then we had a hiatus and then just a month or so and then moved all the sessions up to Sydney to Rhinoceros Recorders and recorded the rest of the album, which included Out the Track, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Is that Mark Opitz producing now? Yeah, then with Mark Opitz coming on board. So there's a couple of producers on the Out of Mind, Out of Sight album, but the bulk of it is Mark Opitz. But, you know, James and I were writing together a lot. A lot of the tunes that people might remember from back then, we'd, we'd work on the arrangements together. I think possibly things like Out of Mind, Out of Sight and Barbados. James did most of the writing, so he ended up singing them. Yeah, although I think Mark Opitz and Chris Murphy, your manager, want you to sing Barbados. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think it would have been cooler if you'd sang it, you know, because I think your voice is a bit, you know, a bit more unique, a bit more out there than James's, and I think it would have mm. just taken it down a slightly different street. You know, I get to hear you sing it anyway, and so it's it's fine. <laughs> ah, thanks, so then, Brian. Yes, I do. I do actually have a crack at singing those very tunes. Yeah. So then you go overseas, yeah. Don't you go to London or do you go to America? I know Out of Mind, Out of Sight did really well in Miami. What mm. happens overseas? What, what What's the next part of the adventure? Well, we did a couple of tours in the States. Uh, we did uh, one stadium tour supporting uh, a band, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, and they were selling out stadiums, uh, you know, North America and Canada. So we, we did that plus. Then Out of Mind, Out of Sight was basically a top 40 hit over there, so we did our own national tour of clubs and things as well. Funny thing was that the song Out of Mind, Out of Sight was initially a, what they called a college radio hit, and it's almost like a song kind of making an impression in an independent sort of alternative way rather than being in the mainstream. So yeah. there's a beautiful irony there with Out of Mind, Out of Sight being universally lampooned here in Australia for being so middle of the road. 
Yeah. Yeah, in the States it was perceived as being kind of hip and alternative and then it eventually crossed over into the mainstream in the States. Did you do a college tour of, of the States on the on the basis of that, Sean? Actually, no, we oh, didn't. Because okay. they're quite memorable. We used to do a lot of universities here in Australia yep. and they were always quite memorable, those shows. But I have no re- recollection of doing any college gigs. I mean, there was lots of pubs, clubs. We, like we played at the Universal Amphitheatre, which is basically like playing at Luna Park or yeah. something. Played at the Ritz in New York. That was pretty cool. It's just sort of like a, a big nightclub. I think we headlined that show. Um, sort of a bit of a blur as to the ones we did where we were just touring on our own, possibly with local supports, or whether we were supporting someone, like I said, OMD in the stadiums, but I'm really glad I did it because, you know, it was a, it was a, a different time, you know, it was 30, over 30 years ago. It was, um, it was great cars to check out on the freeways and um, Pacific wow, Coast just, Highway. Yeah. Uh, I loved Los Angeles as well as the Big Apple and I think we worked at Prince's, uh, not at his studio, but that nightclub in Minneapolis where Purple Rain is set so that was kind of a buzz lots of stuff just cool things you can do if you can get your asses over to the states so the obvious question is if you 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 made the breakthrough and you got you know the song played on the radio on mainstream radio as well as college radio so why didn't the the follow-through happen that you know you became big over there what happened (laughs) mega big wow that's like the $64,000 question. Well, uh, probably, yes. Yeah, you, know, you know, Kevin, I think it probably would have helped if we hadn't broken up. That'd be handy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, was quite keen to, um, you know, we had Wendy Matthews in the band and I had, you know, had the idea of maybe letting her sing a tune in the band. I don't think that was universally um, embraced by the rest of the group, that idea. And I think James was getting, uh, you know, itchy feet. He ended up signing a, another record deal to do a solo album, which kind of took the wind out of our sails a bit, I suppose. Yep. But, um, you know, and as I don't know if you know this, but then I went off and did some work with Wendy and we basically learnt, launched her solo stuff. But, I mean, we didn't actually officially announce that the group had disbanded or anything. As far as I was concerned, you know, after 20 years or whatever it was, we'd, why wouldn't you just sort of go off and do another project? But I think uh, in their wisdom, James Freud's management announced that the group had disbanded, and I remember being a bit annoyed at that, and I've yeah. sort of refuted it for quite some time, even though we did take a... 10-year break. (laughs) (laughs) A 10-year hiatus. (laughs) The world's longest gap year. Yeah, Axl Rose could record half an album in that time. (laughs) 10 years. Didn't take 20 years to record Chinese Democracy. Mm. Well, Sly Stone is still working on his album that he started in 1983 or whatever it is. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I think Sly's got some problems. Hey, that, that <laughs> stuff with the, the stuff with Absent Friends was bloody beautiful. Really good stuff. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was working with some really utterly brilliant musicians back then and um, it was nice to – it was sort of a different time, you know. I, I was actually living in Sydney for a while and, as I said, working with some brilliant musicians. I'm Mick King – on guitar, was, had a band called the Danglin Brothers. Ronnie Francois, I think we snavelled him from the Eurogliders after Gary Beers had to rejoin in excess because Gary was the original Absent Friends bass player. Uh, John Mackay on the drums was playing with Machinations, I think, prior to joining Absent Friends. And towards the end, we got Jeffrey, Jeffrey Stapleton came in on keyboards Jeff is um, probably best known for his work with Ganga Jang. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had a massive deal. I mean, I Don't Want to Be With Nobody But You was a massive hit. You know, I picked up an aria there, uh, Australian Single of the Year in 1991 or whatever it was. Wow. Maybe it was a bit earlier than that. 
But um, no, uh, you know, Wendy Matthews has to take most of the credit there because she she chose that song. It's an old Eddie Floyd song. The guy who sang "Knock on Wood," I yep. think. Correct. Um, and I don't want to be with nobody but you. Yeah, we had Peter Blakely came in and helped out with the vocal arrangement. And this was written by George Floyd. Eddie Floyd. Eddie Floyd. No, I'm not the Black Lives Matter guy. No. Not him. No. No, sorry. Different Floyd. (laughs) Not Pink Floyd either. No. No, different Floyd. Eddie Floyd. Got it. No, that's a a, a beautiful song. Wendy sings it like an angel. Yeah. Thanks. No, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. We love that song. We do love that song. <laughs> so, uh, when you when you get up with Brian and you're doing the absolutely eighty songs and you and you you sing the, the the model songs and and your songs, how do you feel about them these days? Are you still happy with them? And- oh, look, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Brian will tell you it's um, you know, we all have a go at the odd song by someone else. You know, I've had this great thing that happens where I I haven't done it lately, but for a while I was singing. Uh, Rock the Casbah by The Clash, and we'd be doing our 80s show, you know, and whoop, whoop, way out of town somewhere, and it would be my turn to go on and sing Rock the Casbah, and it's like I could tell I would go, I'd, I'd ponce out onto the stage, and you could see people going, oh, who's this guy, you know? And then I would <laughs> burst into the opening lines of, uh, King told the boogeyman, you've got to let that rugged drop. And I would deliberately sing it exactly like Joe Strummer. And you could see people going, oh, right, he's that guy. Because they wouldn't know it was, (laughs) they wouldn't know it was a Clash song per se, but they'd know it from having heard it on the radio and they'd just assume that I was that guy, you know. So... But the point is that so we're doing other people's tunes, and it's it's a really fun show. I just love doing it. We've been doing it for quite a few years now, absolutely eighties. And the point is, when you sing one of your own songs and people know it, it's sort of it's quite gratifying, you know, to have mm. one's own tunes, you know, comparable with these kind of worldwide hits that we throw in as well. Yeah. Uh, I remember that your first gig with us and you, you were saying, oh, this is the first time I've gone up on stage without a guitar. <laughs> oh, wow. I wonder how you'll go without a guitar. Well, took to it like a duck to water. It's <laughs> like, you know, he's up there dancing and I'm thinking, oh, he's probably going to be a bit, you know, a bit embarrassed without the guitar but not just straight into it. And when we did Perth, you did a, a really fun thing to me. Well, we... um. Musically, it's quite a serious show, but it's fair to say none of us take it that seriously. We, it's like a riot. We just, <laughs> it's hilarious fun backstage. But um, Brian sometimes kind of integrates almost like a stand-up comedy with some of his introductions. And in fact, he's got a whole repertoire of very funny jokes, including sight gags. And um, I think we were annoyed with him one day because he was late to drive off yeah. to the gig or something. So we um, we just conspired to pinch all his jokes and one by one <laughs> we'd all do the, oh, yeah, I was down at the pet shop today and bought a budgie because it was going cheap. Um, <laughs> you, you're beautiful. Uh, you're, you, I want to root. You're here. That's the main thing. Um, how do you know when a – and we just sort of one by one just pinched all his gags Knowing that eventually he would notice because, um, <laughs> anyway. But no, I'm sure he's got like a whole new uh, bag of gags now. So, uh, uh, yes, no, it's it's always hilarious. Oh, and no, fun he doesn't. Me. He does not have a new bag of gags at all, Sean. You know that. We, we ought to finish up. So, come with give, give us a give us a, a final sensible question, Brian. Well, you said the models, so you're doing some stuff with the models. When does that happen? Um, October. Oh, good. We're doing some shows in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, playing at the Corner Hotel in Richmond, uh, the Bridge in Sydney, the Zoo in Brisbane. Uh, in October, uh, themodelsband.com. 
Oh, Check okay. it out. All right. Oh, excellent. Good news for all you models fans out there. All right, coming up in the show, we've got the new ones. So Christy Allen, and I can't wait to see that. You're an idiot. You're well, listening to The Life of Brian. Mannix, that is. See, we even get a self-promoting and promoting for us all in all in the one thing. It's a one-stop shop. This podcast. It's a one-stop shop, and you know that's well. I just got to agree with you on that, Kev. Um, <laughs> you know, I've only been out of bed for ten minutes, so my brain's not really working that well yet. But um, yeah, but anyway, we've got our next guest coming up, and he's great. Well, we have it, but before we get to that, I want to just get an update on how the sex, drugs, rock and roll, lithium, uh, platinum, uh, whatever it is show that you're doing, uh, how the thing, because I, I, I saw a Facebook post that said, do uh, you're doing another warm-up gig at Twin Towns. Yes, we are. We're doing one uh, on Saturday. I um, So, yeah, look, I um, did the first gig, you know. So the Gem Hotel, was that the gym? A big part of yeah, the gym, yeah. Like, you know, I was always, you're always going to, you know, have a few bugs in the show, you know, like when you do something new that you haven't done before. But I thought we did pretty well and um, <clears throat> we'll be even better this week. So, you know, it's all a bit exciting to do stuff that, songs that I've never sung before and, um, you know, just trying to do something a little bit different to everybody else. And um, so far, so good. So we'll see how we go this week. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, Can I ask a couple you know, of questions? How many, how, many, how many songs in the show? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably we've got a medley. So there's about, 
nine songs in the medley and then you've got, I don't know, probably about 25, 30, I don't know. Um, I sort of just tend to look at the list, oh, that's next, okay, and uh, just look at it one song at a time. But, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's going very well and, um, you know, really great players in the band and um, doing songs that I never thought a live band could do. And so, yeah, I'm really pleased. All right. Well, uh, the, we look forward to that, and you can go to Twin Towns on the uh, on the Gold Coast, uh, that uh, wonderful uh, venue there. That God, some of the greats have played at that place. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, been a uh, popular venue for many, 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 many years. So yes. uh, just about everybody's played there at some point in their career, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get to our second guest. It is the one and only, uh, this is Media Royalty, a man with a, an amazing career, and we're going to talk a little bit about a whole bunch of things that he's done over the years. Please, ladies and gentlemen. I want to ask him about how he wrote up there, Gazali. That's Mike Brady. Oh. This is oh. Philip oh, Brady. I've got all the questions all wrong now. With, <laughs> with one L. Right, uh, fair enough. It's a... Uh- Pretty illustrious career, uh, Phil. TV, radio, newspaper, you know, you've done everything. Yeah, you're 18, you get a job at Channel 9. What made you sort of go down that road? I always wanted to be a, uh, a radio announcer. There were no DJs in those days, but from the, about the age of five, I was passionate. My grandmother down in Hawthorne had a wind-up gramophone with the old 78 records. And from a very early age, even before I went to school, I'd cut out ads from the newspaper. My folks would drop me off at my grandmother's for the day. I'd be winding up this old gramophone, putting in the steel needles, playing the records, reading the ads. That's all I wanted to do from the age of five, be a radio announcer. Wow. What sort of songs were you playing on this old 78? Oh. <laughs> they were rather classical. Lists, Lieberstrom, and Enrico Caruso, and Count John McCormick. <laughs> Very highbrow records, guys. No early <laughs> Uncanny X Men uh, material. <laughs> popped, popped in there. Uh, no, not, not back 75 years ago, sadly. <laughs> I was very lucky. I went to Lee Murray to learn how to read commercials and project my voice. And uh, within two weeks of going to his voice school in Exhibition Street in the city, uh, Tom Miller, producer of in Melbourne tonight at Channel 9, rang and said, we need a temporary booth announcer only for two weeks. Who have you got in mind? So Lee wisely sent me along to Channel 9 on Good Friday 1958 to audition. And uh, not only did I did I pass, but uh, I stayed there the first time around for not two weeks, but 13 years. <laughs> wow, how cool is that? And, and what and what started as a, just a voiceover role actually finished up being a camera on camera role very quickly, didn't it, Phil? Yeah, you're so right, Kevin. Oh, that's my uh, my boy Aura in the background, my golden retriever. He he gets a bit jealous. He likes to join in every interview <laughs> I do. So I hope you don't mind him in the background. Yeah, I was rather lucky. Uh, Jeff Cork, who was a fellow announcer at Channel Nine. Within my first two weeks there, uh, said, look, uh, you've got to go on camera and uh, close the station and uh, do an ad for Cadbury's Ford Vita. He said, I, I, I can't stay back. You'll have to do it. I said, but I've never been on camera in my life. In those days, all the television stations used to close down around 11.30 at night and come back on air at midday the next day. And so here I was pushed on camera uh, I, I didn't even have the right clothes on. In those days, you, oh yes, you had to wear a blue shirt. You couldn't wear a white shirt on black and white TV. And <laughs> it would flare and, and, and your chin would light up. Uh, and, and who made me up with the guy who was reading the news that night? You might recall the name. He was Roland Strong and he oh, was yeah. reading the Channel 9 late news that Saturday night. And he said, here, I'll put some, Max Factor pancake makeup on you. Well, my face looked quite orange actually, but uh, so that was that was my television debut. Graham Kennedy happened to be watching that night, took a shine to me, thought, "Oh, I, I can have a bit of fun with Bill," and uh, that was the start of my TV career, very unexpectedly. 
Wow. I think it was the dimples. <laughs> I hated that Graham pulling me dimples, and, and and having been through a Catholic school, he oh he had great fun at that. I remember we did a Urella telethon, and we had the actor James Mason sitting next to me, and he wow. he really didn't have much of a sense of humour. But I remember Graham, who was sitting between James Mason and myself, said, "Oh, he said I've been like the nineties, hello." I've got a Mick on one side and a Mason on the other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very nice. Well, that would have been, I'm assuming that would have been back in the days when James Mason was out here for Age of Consent to do that film. Yes, it probably was. You know, Channel 9 used to have an annual uh, telethon for Urella and uh, they had guest artists. Uh, Art Linkletter was out one year, James Mason. They used to sprinkle the uh, the desk with, with different well-known people. And, uh, you know, they, they used to tease me that I brought my own chair to the desk, but I was sort of wedged on the set and just wouldn't leave. <laughs> and I think Mike McCall Jones said I set a record of 14 hours or something nonstop reading donations. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, Phil, how much of that stuff that did, you did with Graham was was winging it and how much was actually pre-planned? And, you know, because it, it looked for all intents and purposes to us at home that it was that it was made up on the spot. Uh, look, you are so right. It virtually was. We had a commercial rehearsal every afternoon at 3.30 where we ran through the live reads. Then we'd have a comedy rehearsal for the blackouts and the sketches. But by the time it went to air at 9.30 at night, you know, Graham was king of the ad-lib. And it was never anything like the afternoon rehearsal. And, and you're quite right. We used to just fly by the seat of our pants. Graham was very demanding. He, he didn't mind me getting the laughs, but he, he just wanted everything to be spot on. He was that 100% professional, yeah. and he expected you to, to give of your very best too. And, uh, in fact, he, he was very demanding. His first offsider was Jeff Cork in the early days of IMT back in 1957. And then when... Bert Newton came across from Channel 7. Obviously, that was a partnership made in heaven. And then later on in the mid-60s when Bert took ill, uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, Graham's on-air partner for five or six years there in the late 60s. You paid your dues because you learned the ropes with Graham. He expected the best. He wanted the laughs. And uh, if you twin soul with him, if there was a magic spark, you were in. And thankfully, boys, that uh, magic spark continued on. Once Graham left Channel 9, he used me on uh, Blankety Blanks whenever Stuart Wagstaff was out of town. And it was an enduring friendship which lasted till the day he died. You've mentioned James Mason before, Phil, and I just sort of started thinking, how many famous people around the world have been lucky enough to meet you, is the way I'll phrase the question. <laughs> some wonderful people along the, along the journey. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, Brian, I, I never rub shoulders with the royal family. I did shake hands with the Pope once, but that was that was a long time ago. But I've wow. been uh, very blessed to go to uh, Hollywood on many, many occasions and interviewed people like uh, Bing Crosby and uh, Jack Benny, Dick wow. Van Dyke, Alfred Hitchcock, Charlie Chaplin I met. And he was at the Oscars. The year he came back to America to receive an honorary Oscar, uh, I was lucky enough to be in the audience that night. And he got a, an 11-minute standing ovation. I went to the Board of Governors Ball afterwards and was introduced to him. And I was only about 25 at the stage. I was pretty dumb. And uh, I remember saying, I said, Charles, it's about time you came to visit us in Australia. And he looked at me glaringly and said, my dear fellow, I think I've left it a bit late for that. <laughs> by, then, by then, Charlie Chaplin was about 85, and guys, he was so frail, he was being carried around the room on his elbows. You oh, know? God. I, I think it was a pretty dumb, dumb question on my part, you know. Oh, I think it's a beauty. No, it's a beauty. <laughs> uh, did you ever get starstruck? Did you ever meet anyone and go, uh, 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 uh. Yeah, very good question. I Probably the only guy who was insulted by Sophia Loren. Well, she actually, uh, I think I insulted her because 
1965, she'd made a movie called Operation Crossbow, and I was at the Savoy Hotel in London for a press reception. And at very short moments, I said, oh, would you like to meet Sophia Loren? Would you like to interview her? I thought, would I like to? Would I ever? <laughs> and I had a, a, I had a mad crush on her, and uh, I hadn't prepared any questions. I hadn't previewed the movie. I, I was just sort of thrust into the limelight and the thrust into her presence. And my very first question was, uh, oh, Miss Loren, those pearls you're wearing, are they real? <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a long pause, guys, and she started swearing at me in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Which begs the question, Phil, um, those pearls that you're wearing, are they real? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't put them on till after dark, guys. No, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm not wearing them yet. Too early in the day for me. One of the funny things about the relationship with with all the, you know, when you talk about Bert and Graham and, and Ernie and everyone that was involved in, in kind of that halcyon days of, uh, of television, you didn't knock around together, did you? You weren't kind of socially great mates. Uh, not really. I, I continued to live at home with my parents and, uh, I, you know, as soon as IMT was over at 11 o'clock or whatever, I couldn't wait to get home and... Uh, you know, have supper with my parents. And uh, I was never a booze artist. I never went to a, a hotel much, never much of a drinker or a gambler. So I was sort of a bit the, the odd man out. Bruce Mansfield always thought I was an alien. He said, <laughs> he said you're not really into sport. You, you don't enjoy a grog. You won't gamble. You're not going out with fast women. Bruce was sure I was from, a, from another galaxy, you know, in the, in the Milky Way. But, but uh, no, I, I didn't mix much after the show. I, I preferred my own company, and a lot of them went back to the boardroom and drank till 2 or 3 in the morning, and uh, it, it wasn't my scene. And I didn't really get very close to anybody. I, you know, we were, we were working mates and, and colleagues, and, and we stayed good chums all our lives. But, no, I wasn't much of a mixer, really. I'm, I never have been, really. I've kept... Kept to myself. I like being with my dog. Phil, I was talking to a um, guy called Dixie Duncan years ago, and he was a producer on the Penthouse Club. And yeah. he said that they'd get there and they'd start having a drink at ten in the morning, and by the time they went to the show, they were all half pissed. And I'm just wondering, was IMT, you know, was people having a drink backstage back in them days, or was it all very professional and proper, or now having a drink and we're relaxing? Or what was the go? No, interesting uh, question you should ask me that, Brian, because I later worked with Dixie Duncan at Channel O, and I did a lot of shows for Grundy's out at O, game shows like Junior Moneymakers and Password and Get the Message and so on. And there was a lot of drinking going on behind the scenes at Channel O in the studio there. But uh, no, people at uh, Channel 9 sort of uh, didn't imbibe much during the day. It, it was such a tight oh. schedule putting that show to where IMT I'm talking about, doing that five nights a week at 9.30 with a full orchestra, a full ballet, a full chorus, oh. uh, you know how professional that show was. If, if people were caught drinking, I don't think they would have lasted long on IMT. I, I had a funny experience. I was doing a, a game show in Sydney called Password, and my celebrity guests for a whole five shows were John Merlion, and Johnny O'Keefe, and we started wow. recording oh, the five God. shows. Yeah, well, we started recording the five shows at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, luckily, I didn't light up a cigarette because the Johnny Walker fumes coming from both those guys <laughs> were, were enough to start start a bonfire. You know, <laughs> they, they were quite heavy drinkers, and that obviously started. A liquid breakfast very early on. Oh, God. Jeez. Now, Phil, I want you to dispel a, a rumour that I've heard. Is it true that you went out with uh, with Patty before Bert did and that you actually have photos? The famous famous showbiz expression, I have photos. Yeah, well, yeah, Polaroids, in fact, well, <laughs> even better. But uh, no, he, long before Bert started escorting Patty anywhere, I certainly took her to an ABC ball. Back in those days, all the television stations used to have an annual ball. And yes, I do have 
photos of Patty and myself all dressed up going out. But over the years, we've done so many things together. We've done store appearances. We helped to open Chadston Shopping Centre with an OB oh, wow. uh, back in 1961. Patty and I have always been very, very close. And boys, who knows? She might become the next Mrs. Philip Brady. <laughs> All right. We've got a scoop here, Kev. It's fantastic. <laughs> that would make her laugh. She's on her way to Queensland. She's going to play the bag lady in uh, Mary Poppins for the next three months, and she's really looking forward to that. So, Phil, uh, you, you did radio, you did television, do all that. What about stage and, and those things? Did you dabble in that at any stage? Because I haven't been. I haven't no, seen, and, no. Uh, well, good question, guys. Only at school we did Gilbert and Sullivan, and I think all of us were involved in dramatics in our school days. I did have a couple of offers. I had the opportunity to uh, be in Annie, the Melbourne production of Annie. I was approached by Jason Mariner to appear on stage at the Regent, but because I was doing Nightline with Bruce five nights a week, I couldn't break away for that. And John Frost wanted me in a play called Noises Off for the Melbourne season. And again, because of radio commitments, I had to say no to that. So I I can't uh, claim to have made any movies, and I can't claim to have done any professional stage work, sadly. But it's not too late. I'm only 83, guys. Come on. (laughs) Um, Of all of the stuff that you've done, uh, Phil, does one stand out as the most enjoyable and one stand out as, oh, I didn't really enjoy that part of because you always come across, you know, like you're enjoying life very much. And I just wondered job that stood out to you that was like, that was the best one I had, or and one that, oh, that was horrible, I didn't like that, is... is Okay, is, I'll, you... guys, I'll tell you, I've never been asked this question before, but I'll tell you the worst experience I ever had. Back in 1961, our boss at Channel 9, Colin Bednall, teamed up Hal Todd and myself. Now, the late Toddy was a, a bit of a spruker, he was a hard sell man, very good at doing commercials. Greatly loved personality in Melbourne on radio and then later on TV. And as they combined Toddy and myself to do a Friday night in Melbourne tonight. And there really was no chemistry between us. We were poles <laughs> apart. We just didn't fire. And uh, after four weeks, they pulled the plug on that show. It was really a mismatch putting Hal Todd and myself together. We just were, we were, we were poles apart. But I guess two of the, the happiest experiences were working with uh, Graham and Bert over many, many years. And then in my own right, doing all these uh, game shows for Reg Grundy that we talked about earlier, like Money Makers and Casino 10 and Everybody's Talking. And I've, I've been very lucky. I've, I've been very blessed because I'm not an entertainer. I don't sing. I don't dance. I don't tell jokes. I think I'm a bit of a phony. I don't know how I've lasted <laughs> 64 years because, guys, I really don't have a lot to offer. It's all right. You, uh, could, you could be Brian Mannix in a new life. <laughs> yeah. No, you I don't dance. Yeah. I don't dance. <laughs> I'm not funny. Yeah, 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 very into reincarnation. That could be, that could be my next career move, boys. <laughs> hey, how many how many of those game shows did you do? The quiz shows did you do? Because I mean, you mentioned concentration. Everybody's talking money makers. There was junior money makers. Get the message. Uh, password casino ten. How many did you do? Oh, more than three thousand episodes of uh, those shows. I, I couldn't compete with Jimmy Hannon. He was uh, the master of those daytime shows. He did more pilots than uh, anybody <laughs> I happen to know. And and Tony Barber. I always thought Tony was. The, the king of the quiz compares, but uh, I had my fair share in the 70s and uh, I, I often uh, look at Eddie to the, at night doing a billionaire hot seat. I think I could still do that. If, if Eddie gets a sore throat, I wouldn't mind a go at that. Uh, yeah, you'd be good. Well, I don't really? know. I think the TV's a young man's game now and I've, I've had the best of it. I'm still lucky enough to be at 3AW uh, Sunday nights doing Remember When with Simon Owens. I really enjoy that long may that continue, but um, one of the few who's still gainfully employed from uh, 
from the early days of TV, which is a bit scary, isn't it? Well, you always wanted to be a radio announcer, and as it's worked out, the sort of the latter part of your career, that's exactly what you've been. Kevin, isn't that interesting? The wheel has turned yeah. full circle. Yes. Yes, I was the rare exception who started in TV and, and, and went to radio later. But uh, I, th- I think I've got a great face for radio, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great face for TV. It's the dimples. <laughs> Uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful life. I've been very blessed, and uh, uh, long may it continue because I love to spread love and laughter. And uh, you will agree that's what it's all about. You know, it's sort of uh, spreading yourself around and uh, trying to make the world a happier place. Yeah, and you, I mean, you are a very optimistic human being, and I, I think you have to be to, to survive in this industry in in many ways. If you become a a bitter old sort of uh, person, it it just doesn't work. Oh, yeah, I've, I've had my disappointments, as as we all would admit yeah. to, uh, you know, setbacks and uh, shows being axed and uh, people betraying you and, uh, you know, a show business like. But overall, I've, I've been very, very lucky and uh, I do count my blessings every day. I uh, have some wonderful friends. I still plan to travel overseas a bit more. I'm off to Japan for cherry blossom time in March next year. Uh, I recently took a trip down to the South Pole overnight in search of the Aurora Australis. So there are still mountains to climb, guys, and still more adventures ahead, I hope. Absolutely. And you still still obviously love doing the radio, Phil. I mean, I know you're only doing Remember When these days, but uh, you obviously still really get a a big kick out of doing that. Oh, yes, it rates its head off too. So, uh, you know... uh, uh, and Simon Owens, who was originally on work experience at 3AW, then answered our phones for years and years and years. Then they put him on staff and he became our uh, producer. And then, of course, we lost Bruce in 2015. And uh, Simon stepped in and uh, we're achieving higher ratings now than we did back in Bruce's day. It's quite amazing. Wow! Yeah, it's a it's a it is an amazing story. The, your relationship with Bruce over that. What do you what, did you have nearly thirty years with with Bruce on air? Yeah, but I'd known him since about nineteen sixty one. I was introduced to him when I was at Channel Nine. He was at Three XY, and then he came across to Nine in the mid sixties as an announcer. So uh, we had a an association that goes back long before we started doing. Uh, 3AW stuff in 1990, but he was a very, very funny man, and and we had 30 good years together, and sadly we lost him around 2015 to uh, prostate cancer. But I mean, most of the people that I was fond of and and was partnering over the years, like Mike Walsh, who I went, oh, Mike's still around, thankfully, but people like Ernie Scorn and Don Lane and uh, uh, Graham and Bert, it's a bit sad that... uh, you know, uh, some of these people who were legends uh, are no longer with us. They're only memories, aren't they? Yeah, which is why oh, we cherish was... the fact that we get a chance to have a chat with you right now. Yeah, well, hang on yeah. to that, guys, because you never know when my numbers come up oh, and don't. Suddenly, this, suddenly this interview will become gold. <laughs> <laughs> You've given up the smokes, I heard. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I haven't had a cigarette. Yeah, I haven't had a cigarette in four years. Boys, I was... I was Puffing on fifty to sixty cigarettes a day, wow, and I wow. did that for fifty years. And it caught up with me. I took a group to New Zealand about four years ago, and uh, suddenly I was breathless. Ended up in uh, hospital in Auckland. I, I just couldn't breathe, and I was in intensive care. And uh, suddenly, uh, all that smoking caught up with me overnight, and uh, I got such a shock that I haven't. I haven't lit up since and, and never will again. But even then, even four years ago, tobacco was costing me $25,000 a year. Even back wow. then, if I was still smoking, I'd be spending thirty thirty five thousand 35000 on cigarettes today. It's outrageous. So I do discourage anybody from taking up the habit. It's a nasty one and uh, can have nasty ramifications like emphysema and stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I was a big smoker myself and Brian still dabbles a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it, but it's so hard to give up. Um, you know, I don't know how you yeah. work from, you know, 
I didn't, you know, I don't smoke anything like fifty or sixty cigarettes a day, but gee, you know, I put a patch on and I'll still have one or two. But it's 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 a very difficult thing to give up. Did you find it difficult to give up, or the shock? Uh, no, well, they reckon that it's harder to give up than heroin. Not that we know that, but uh, only yeah. because I had a health scare did I give up. Uh, otherwise, I'd still be smoking, I guess. So, Brian, if anything comes to this chat today, I do urge you. Uh, on, on his deathbed in 1976, I promised my father I'd quit smoking. He died of lung cancer. He was a doctor, but he was a very heavy smoker. And, you oh. know, I, it took me all those years to, to keep that promise until, uh, you know, the mid-20s, like 2017, 18, I think I gave up. But uh, if anything comes of this chat today, Brian... Try and do it, buddy, because uh, right. you'll feel oh, much healthier for it. You know. Hey, Phil, oh. do, do you have a is, do you have a, like a life motto that you've lived to your professional life and your personal life by that you reckon has has given you the longevity and you know, sixty four years in the media is just unbelievable. Yeah, well, yeah. There's an expression I like, and I try to live by it. It's not original. It's not mine, but it's simply life is fragile. Handle with prayer. And guys, wow. it works for me. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if you're religious or spiritual or whatever, but uh, I, 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 I'll tell you this: I, I'm a Catholic, which is no secret. But I like to go to mass every day of the week. I'm free to do so, and uh, it does give me a peace of mind and gives me a chance to pray for people I care about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Catholic, and. Um you know, a lot of my friends are retired Catholics, but, um, I, I, you know, you've got to have some kind of morals and ethics and some kind of code as to how you live your life. And I think that religion's not a bad way. You know, I think the Ten Commandments are a great signpost to a happy life and a happy mental health. Um, so, no, I'm not on board with you on that, Phil. No worries. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm on your side there too. And I think a lot of misery in the world today is, is because people have sort of turned their back on uh, on their God or, or their belief, what, whatever that happens to be. A lot of people have become very selfish and self-centred and uh, it doesn't really lead to long-term, long-term happiness, does it? No, no, it doesn't. I, I'm due out for lunch shortly, but I, I really appreciate the chance to talking to you today. It's been a very great honour to, to have you take an interest to want to talk to me. We could do this another time, maybe. Absolutely. Think. The privilege is all ours, and we've, we've loved having a chat with you, and we will catch up again in the, in the future. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, and thank as you, Phil. you can hear, Oro, my golden retriever, <laughs> sending you his best regards as well. As your, uh, there's your watchdog. Uh, he's pointing to the watch going, it's time to go to lunch, Phil. Let's go. See you, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Phil. See ya. Have a lovely lunch. Bye. Ah yes, media icon. Uh, lovely to uh, to have him on the on the program, and hopefully, uh, you'll now give up the smokes based on the uh, wonderful uh, advice given to you there by Phil for your health. Yep, I'm going to go down to the supermarket and buy a packet of patches today, and then we'll start wheezing our way off the cigarettes. That's a good idea. Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, mm. And now uh, I want to mention uh, Mercots once again, and just a reminder about that telephone number because that's the all important number. If you want a gift certificate for Christmas to get everything sorted, just give them a call. one 576 That's the number to ring. See, mm-hmm. it's that easy. Jump on the website, mercots.edu.au, if you want to check out other little bits and pieces as well. They've got all sorts of things going on there. Um, one thing I did uh, catch on their website, engine on, phone off. What a good idea. Yes, there's there's a tip straight away there. Yeah, make you a better driver. Put your phone down and concentrate on the road. Absolutely, a uh, good idea. One three hundred five 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 seven six. That's the number. Our thanks to Sean Kelly. Our thanks to uh, Philip Brady for being uh, on the program. Uh, and uh, in coming of uh, attractions for this particular podcast, Gary Twin from Supernaut. Oh yes. Tony Burrows from about 15 different bands, including Edison Lighthouse and uh, Brotherhood of Man and uh, First Class. He's just popped out hits in the uh, 60s, 70s and 80s like there was no tomorrow. Sharon he was Kaur popping from, out hits like Muhammad Ali. Yes. Sharon uh, Sharon Kaur from The Cause. Oh, bit of a spunk. She is. 
Mm. Yeah, very good. Speaking of a bit of a spunk, beat Bertles. Bit of a spunk. Is he? <laughs> well, I don't know if he's a bit of a spunk. He's a very talented man. Oh, he's a very talented man. Good looking, good, fine, fine looking, uh, uh, well, septuagenarian now. He's in his 70s. Oh. And well, he can still be a spunk at 70, I suppose. Absolutely. And uh, Peter Couples, who's not quite in his 70s, just turned 69, but Cups is going to join us as well. Oh, he's a funny bloke and um, likes a beer, a beer every now and then too, uh, Peter Capples. Absolutely. So all those are coming up uh, and a whole lot of other ones we're working on as well that will be popping up. Fantastic, Kev. It's just going beautifully. It is. And uh, you're the back uh, back now into the sunshine. They'll just be uh, putting a 15-plus on and uh, going out into the, uh, into the you know, 40-degree heat there in, on the Gold Coast. Well, it's not 40 degrees heat, but... Um, but, you know, yeah, you do want to put the uh, sunscreen on the face because, um, you know, you see a lot of people up here and they've just been walking around in the sun for years and it shows. So isn't, you've got to put the an, sunscreen on your face. There's a leathery aspect to a lot of people on the Gold Coast, isn't there? There is indeed. And um, actually I had to have a couple of, um, you know, skin cancers cut off the other day. So I don't know what the results of that's going to be, but... Um, yeah, you got to look after your skin and the sun is, you know, potentially dangerous. Yeah, so okay. Be careful. Oh, well, uh, good luck with those. Um, Thank you. I'm sure that'll be fine. All right, Brian, well, uh, enjoy yourself. Take care and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, we will talk soon and uh, enjoy your day, Kev, and you listening, have a great day.